0: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay. Plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24-monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement to $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. This is the Rusk Report, a program that takes an inside look at Western New York with news, features, and special guests now here's your host brian
1: rusk welcome to the Rusk report on espn am 1520 we have a guest who was on this program many years ago his name is guy marlette he's a former deputy supervisor and councilman in the town of amherst former president of the rotary club in his real life he's employed with alternative information systems vice president chief operating officer since 1991 Service Operations and Human Resources, Corporate Project Manager. Also from 85 to 91, he was with VGC Corporation as General Manager, Director of Service Operations. He's a very gifted man. He's a very good strategist in the community to get things done. And I've been very impressed with his leadership capability, Guy R. Marlette our guest on the Rusk Report on ESPN AM 1520. Let's first talk about the accomplishments in office. You were deputy supervisor for six years from 2009 to 2015 and a council member for eight years from 2007 to 2015. What were your greatest accomplishments, Guy Marlett?
0: Well, Brian, first of all, thanks for allowing me to uh, come back on your show. I know it's been a few years, but I always enjoy listening to you. You know, as deputy supervisor or just really a council member in the town of Amherst, I think one of the first things that we always wanted to do was to make sure that, you know, we listened to what the residents said and then wanted to react in an appropriate fashion. So, you know, one of the things that we did that I'm actually pretty proud of is the Amherst Veterans Park over in the um, Amherst State Park. That was a project that was put forward because you know veterans had a park out by kind of on Road, and it was really so far outside of the central portion of Amherst that it really wasn't utilized a lot, and it kind of became a storage for a highway and parks, equipment and things. So we thought that centralizing this um, the Veterans Park in Amherst State Park, which is very central, it's in the village of Williamsville, would, be allow, would allow all people, not just you know active veterans or retired but allow their families and stuff to come. And it's it's a beautiful thing. We put a water feature there. There's a wall that they can um, have their names inscribed onto it for loved ones. And I think it's worked out really well, and it also drove additional improvements at Amherst State Park. Uh, you know, and then we did things that I guess are kind of intangibles in a sense, such as the consolidation of the uh, town sewer district to spread that cost evenly across all residents so that the older parts of town weren't paying a higher rate Just because they're the older part, you know, everybody says that you have to have equalization across the community, and we believe that. You know, what we do anywhere in the town as far as infrastructure is a benefit to everybody. Um, You know, we looked at a number of things. One of the things that I think uh, myself and Supervisor Weinstein were very proud of is the fact that we're able to stabilize taxes, control spending, and look at ways to cut costs without reducing services. One of those was the merger of the youth and recreation departments, which saved us probably about, I'm say about $250,000 or so a year in salaries. But we were actually able to improve the services and the programming for the people of uh, Amherst, all the residents and the taxpayers alike. So, we're, you know, we're always focused on the youth and the family and actually good practical management of the town.
1: Very good. Very optimistic picture. You worked very hard, and one thing that particularly the seniors gave credit to you and Dr. Weinstein was uh, no tax increase for eight years. Well, we certainly don't see that today, but we'll go into that later. Let's talk about your dreams for Amherst uh, for the next generation in the coming years, 10, 20 years. What's your vision for the town of Amherst, Guy Marlott?
0: Well, I, I have to say, I love this town.
1: We've lived here a long time. We raised our kids here.
0: And I think the biggest thing that myself or any other grandparent or parent would want is that the town stays affordable for so that they can, you know, live here, basically. But more importantly, that it's affordable for their kids and their kids' kids, you know, the next generation that are coming online we want them to stay in Amherst. We want it to be affordable. And at the same time, we want to ensure that all of our services, whether they're infrastructure, youth and family, uh, fire, police, that all of those things become available and they stay at the top quality that they could possibly be. But we want accountability for every tax dollar that's collected. And we want accountability for every tax dollar that is spent. And so our thing is, I think that we want to ensure that Amherst doesn't become a metropolis, but at the same time that it is truly sustainable without excessive spending and without excessive taxes.
1: Very good. Now, you were at a press conference a couple days ago, and one thing that you and other civic leaders regarding parks and golf courses and proposed changes, one thing that you and others mentioned, and you spoke at the end of this press conference in front of Amherst Town Hall, it was about transparency, and uh, so everybody sees exactly what is going on, and there are certain feelings of people in the town that things are being hidden and not being presented in the public eye uh, to the residents. Uh, you were in office for eight years. You were deputy supervisor for many of those years. Um, let's talk about transparency. Why is this important Absolutely. to be honest with the taxpayer?
0: Well, i, I got to tell you, my first, my first year in office was the largest, most controversial vote in the town up to that point, which was the rezoning of the gun club project. We spent an enormous amount of time ensuring that the residents had a voice into how things should look, what concerns they have as far as traffic. We probably did, I'm going to say, at least five or six, six different iterations of how we would, you know, look to the developer to not only what they were putting in there, but truly the look and feel of what they were putting in there. You know, we didn't want a nice facade and then have a uh, cinder block building in the back. We also wanted to ensure that we weren't encroaching upon our recreation space. So to ensure that, you know, every time that we had a discussion and changes were made or, you know, we were acting to suggestions from residents of how to change it, those were incorporated into you know, drawings and vision-type plans, but then we would always present those back to the public in an informational ses- session. And as each time these things changed, we would do a new information system because, as you make changes, people's you know needs are, and quite frankly, people that weren't able to attend another meeting have an opportunity to voice their opinion again. We also did this in public, and I gotta tell you, I don't see the pandemic as an excuse on decisions large and broad that you just get to make those over a zoom call. I mean, quite frankly, on a decision, like let's say the Westwood, which is a game changer for the town of Amherst you really need to have that public input face-to-face and you really need to understand what their concerns are. And every time there's a change to the plan, it should go back to the residents so that they understand what's going on. The residents that I spoke to are concerned that a, There's no face-to-face voting going on for the past year almost. And two, they want to have a voice. They want to see what they're actually or what the town board is actually voting on. You know, I watched that meeting Monday night. The current supervisor did a nice job of explaining everything on his resolution that was not written on the resolution.
1: But (laughs) it's kind of inferred, I guess, is is the way that. I don't understand that. If it's not written on a resolution, then what relevance does it have? The resolution is basically a law. It's a contract. It's binding. So what, why does someone talk about things that aren't written in there to infer? Well, it doesn't and, make sense to me.
0: Right, and that's my comment where I said it's sketchy. A resolution should have, especially on important things such as taxes and how you're financing, there should be very good detail, and I think also there should be a financial analysis associated with it so that people can understand and see it. And, you know, Barry and I used to always go by the old adage, if it is not written in the resolution, it is not part of the resolution. Right. The second thing that that I found disturbing was there was very little debate by the town board, either for or against. Or, you know, we used to always have constant debates, and if we were going to vote on something that we thought was controversial, our board members would really go through and explain why they were voting for or against it. And I think the public deserves it. They need to understand, you know, why why their representatives are voting a certain way. All of these guys, you know, all politicians, when they campaign, they say, we are going to put the residents first. We are representing you. Yet, when there is no debate, and it's a quick vote, and they move on, and a language and a resolution is somewhat lacking in detail, they are not fulfilling their promise.
1: Very interesting. We're learning a great deal from a very dedicated uh, public servant, Guy Marlette. He was a deputy supervisor of the town of Amherst from 2009 to 2015 and an Amherst Councilman from 2007 to 2015. If you're listening in Amherst, Toronto or Manhattan, drop us a note. We'd like to hear from you. The station has received letters as far away as Scandinavia and New Zealand with our 50,000 watts of clear channel power. Please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway, Amherst, New York, 14226. And we always greet cards and letters from Canadian and European listeners. A little plug here, ESPN 1520 is streaming. You can listen live by going to our website, ESPN1520.com, and clicking on the radio.com or listen tab. And Western New Yorkers love their traditions and the Ampol Legal has been writing about Polish-American traditions and events for over 50 years. News and features from a Polish-American perspective can be found in this weekly newspaper, as well as recipes and a calendar of events. Don't miss out on the next cultural presentation or polka dance by reading the Ampol Legal. The Ampol Legal is available in many Tops and Wegmans stores. For home delivery, call 835-9454. 835-9454. That's 716-835-9454 to have the latest news from Poland and Polonia in your mailbox each week. I'd like to thank those who called regarding our recent guests, Amherst Chamber of Commerce President A.J. Baines, Erie County Sheriff Tim Howard, and new newly elected State Senator Ed Rath. Coming up, we'll have Minority Leader of the State Senate Rob Ort. Charlie Joyce, National Republican Committeeman, and former New York State Republican Chair Ed Cox. A little more information about Guy Marlett. He was very active with my club and her South Rotary Club as a member since 2006, board member 2009 to 2013. He was the president for two years, from 2010 to 2012, and a Paul Harris Fellow in 2013. And the, ne- the next two items, I'm confused because I thought you had to be a woman to be in Zonta. And he was a member <laughs> for the last four years and on the U.N. committee uh, for the last year. Now, how, Guy, did you become a member of Zonta? I thought it was a woman's group.
0: Well, I mean, it was primarily started as a woman's group, just like Rotary was really started as a men's group. Okay. And as times change and people's minds become more open and things, you know, Rotary started to let females into the club. Um, at the same time, Zonta, which really was started in Buffalo slash Amherst, uh, was very active. And I was asked by a friend if I would be interested in joining. You. And I said the same thing that you did. I said, well, you know, obviously I'm not a woman. She says, no, no, no. We have men, a few men in Zanta And I thought it would be a great opportunity For me, as a, you know, I'm married, I have two daughters, I have a couple of grandkids, to understand really things from the perspective of how women view those. You know, there are issues, and there is so much inequality, not necessarily as much in the United States, but, you know, internationally, that I think it becomes relevant to remind people of the role that they play, you know, in the world, in the nation, and also that there are things that, regardless of what, you know, your sex is that you can do to help others. So I enjoy it. I think they're very engaged. Um, you know, I'm also a member of the Jolly Boys. I'm the vice chair. And, you know, they're really known for the parade on Main Street and the beer tent during old home days. But, you know, they do so much more than that. Mm-hmm. The money that they raise goes right back to the community, specifically focused on youth. And they probably donate up around 60 plus per year out to these various groups, such as Children's Hospital or, you know, um, kids escaping drugs. Whatever, Whatever the case may be, I think that they're totally engaged. So I, you know, I chose my civic duty really more along the lines of things that help give back to
1: the community. Wonderful. Well, that's a good answer. And I'm also an auxiliary member of the Amherst Republican Woman, and I'm a man. Okay, that's there fine. There you go. There you go. Okay, let's talk back about government. And I'd like to talk to, about uh, bidding of contracts. Now, uh, you were mentioning about this Amherst Park uh, uh, proposal, this resolution that was passed unanimously with very, very little discussion. I watched it um, on the Amherst uh, uh, Town website uh, for the meeting, and I heard one councilwoman make a few Minor comments, but the other uh, councilman just sat there. um, About bidding of uh, big uh, contracts. Now, we're talking about potentially the next 10 or 20 years. This could be a $90 million project. My understanding always was in New York State, anything over $10,000 has to be bid. I understand with the Erie County Water Authority, it's $5,000 amounts. Um, I talked to former supervisor Barry Weinstein, and he thought that there's a real question of legality here of something of that magnitude not being bid out. Why wouldn't you let 10, 20, 50 developers who want the rights for construction development at that park and Audubon for decades, why wouldn't you want bidding? Could you explain that to me?
0: Well, I, I think a municipality or any public entity always wants to bid to see, you know, not only what the best price is, Right. They want to see what the entire vision for a particular parcel would be. And the concerns that I think a lot of people have is we're, we're being told that, oh, this is part of it, but there's language in there that says there's, that there could be future development, and we're guaranteeing management contracts. And, and at the end of the day, I'm not an attorney. It doesn't seem completely legal, but I don't know. But I think more importantly, there's some questions that, Kind of haven't been looked at or answered if the town truly wants to provide a better golfing experience and or central park as the supervisor has talked about the town could just make an offer to buy that property it's only recently that they both come to an agreement on what the appraised values of each partial is uh, westwood comes in at about 7.6 million dollars they could do a referendum and ask the public should we make an offer to buy westwood but when we start trying to do these land swap deals, a lot of the openness and transparency starts to slip away. My feeling is I think that the town, if it's truly going to be you know, acquiring Westwood, the town should be in control of its destiny as it relates to Audubon. Audubon today really is a very large swath of land that kind of we've always had the vision as being our recreational center in the heart of Amherst but over the course of the year we've seen that being chipped away and chipped away and it continues to so you know we put a hotel up we put medical offices up we took out diamonds that were dedicated to individuals in Amherst that had a great sports legacy and took them down without a second thought. I mean, at at some point, we can't say that we love green space and we want to make sure that our recreation services for families exist. And at the same time, we continue to encroach business development on those recreation areas. So I I think, you know, everybody should just take a pause, a deep breath, and let's start the conversation of the vision and how the town can control it versus an outside entity controlling that vision.
1: Very good. For those who have just tuned in, we're speaking with a bright, dynamic leader from the town of Amherst, a leader who has been active in government with the Rotary Club with the Jolly Boys, Guy Marlette, former deputy supervisor. If you're listening in Williamsville, Montreal, or northern Florida, drop us a note. Please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200. Amherst, New York, 14226. We always greet cards and letters from our Canadian and European listeners. Guy Marlette has been active with the Amherst Youth Foundation. He's been on the advisory board for the last few years, a member from 2005 to 2018, and president from 2005 to 2007. Also the Jolly Boys with Old Home Days. He was vice, is the vice chairman for the last few years and has been a board member since two thousand seventeen, a man who's contributed a great deal of his time, effort, and talent to the town of Amherst. Now let's talk about senior citizens. My understanding is that there are many senior citizens who don't want to join a country club and plunk down ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars and pay five hundred or six hundred dollars a month in dues, they like to go to the Audubon golf course golf nine holes, have lunch in the clubhouse, then do another nine holes. Now there's a proposal from Supervisor Culpa to do away with nine holes in the middle of Amherst. There's talk about getting more holes of golf in north and northeast Amherst. But what about the seniors who paid taxes for 40, 50 years, and now they want to keep their 18 holes for exercise, especially with COVID? Exercise and being outdoors is so important. How do you feel about this idea to reduce the number of holes in central Amherst from eighteen to nine?
0: Well, I don't like it. I mean I'm a golfer. I belong to a private club, but you know, that's not really relevant. And I and I probably should state at some point that I'm not running for any office. I'm a private citizen at this point. I you know, I've been out of politics for a while. But, you know, I think sometimes people forget that there are different demographics in our town. So we want to talk about seniors, and I think the seniors deserve the respect that they're due, right? So, you know, we have really three courses. We have the part three course, the 18-hole Audubon, and the nine-hole uh, Oakwood course. In each of those courses, we have put financial investments into things like drainage and, and uh, infrastructure To ensure that those courses were playable and enjoyable experience, Oakwood today is completely overgrown because they refused to open it up last year. Audubon is looking to get a new golf management contract, and and actually signing a golf management contract and not understanding where they're going with golf seems odd to me. What is the future of the par three? I think a lot of young and a lot of old people enjoy that par three because it's quick it doesn't require a lot and a lot of them are able to walk it because it's fairly short a town the size of amherst has an 18 hole course it should remain an 18 hole course but when i hear talk of we're going to cut this down we're going to find a place to build 18 more holes you know money counts and i don't understand what the urgency is To remove an 18-hole course that exists without, you know, if we're going to buy Westwood and move the 18-hole course there, that's a solution. It doesn't necessarily mean that Audubon needs to be completely redeveloped. My concern is is when you start chopping off two holes, you know, then three holes and now nine holes, what happens if they do, in fact, build another nine-hole course? Now we're going to put more development on where the nine-hole course used to be? I mean, there's a lot of unanswered questions here. We specifically, Dr. Weinstein and I, put through the resolution for a recreational conservation zoning, which Westwood currently has. We did that to all the golf courses in the town because we are afraid of this type of thing where the course closes and they want to put in a massive development. And, and you know, that's what they do. So I don't begrudge them on that. But what I do begrudge the town board on is not looking at all the viable opportunities, not taking control of our own destiny, and instead it looks more like a developer is controlling our future destiny in that area. And I don't think that's right.
1: Let's talk about a public hearing. Now, Supervisor Culpa claims he's had all these public hearings, public meetings in the last three years, but now he's coming up, With a concrete plan, after having all these discussions, wouldn't it make sense to have perhaps because you're limited on space to 100 people indoors? Maybe have five public hearings throughout the town of Amherst, so people can comment on the what they consider to be the final plan. It it doesn't make sense to me to have all those public hearings on conjecture and a guessing game. Now, when they have an a actual proposal, wouldn't it make sense now to have the public hearings and get public input? I, I'm, I'm puzzled.
0: Right. So, you know, I, I can't speak for what their procedure is, but I can speak for what the procedure is that um, we would expect as a resident. And that is they've done multiple informational ses- sessions to, in a sense, get to this point. But we don't know that all the residents input was used or rejected and why so my preference would have been is when this you know latest resolution came up that it was truly more succinct in in the in the language but also that they would have held at least a couple of informational sessions to get comments on where they were going at this particular point in time I know that the supervisor said that they were not required to have a public hearing and residents can hop on to the online meeting and make their comments. That's, that's not the same. There are a number of places in Amherst where you could hold an in-person work session, town board, here, town board meeting, public hearing, informational system, provide proper distancing. But I, I honestly think that it's important when you have people in front of you face-to-face it allows you to listen more that allows you to understand where they're coming from and it certainly gives you that opportunity to answer back and have a conversation and a dialogue and if you're going to vote on something this big it should be in the public forum with people present
1: we have a minute left on the Rusk report on ESPN AM 1520 let's talk about taxes you are very proud that you and Barry Weinstein had no tax increase for eight years now they're looking at a seven to eight million dollar deficit, a seven percent proposed tax increase. How do you compare your record and the current record?
0: I can speak honestly about our record. We were always concerned about the cost, the long-term cost, the short-term cost, the effect that it would have on the residents. We weren't looking to just go crazy on development to cover up excessive spending. We were very, very um, cautious on hiring people, because we know that you know, a lot of times they ne- that position will never go away. Uh, but more importantly, we wanted to make sure that there was a balanced approach that we could provide all the services that we need, and at the same time, look at where we could get revenue streams or control costs, and I think we did a good job on that. You know, It's always the levy, it's always the rate. Um, We've never hired a bunch of political appointees to fill positions that never existed before. And I think that's something that residents need to understand. And, you know, a lot of times these positions, and they're very high-paid positions, could that money have been used for, uh, I'm
1: sorry, we have to bring the Rusk Report to a close. We've learned a great deal from a great leader of Amherst, uh, both in government and with the Rotary Club and many other organizations, Guy R. Marlette, Thank you for enlightening us. Thanks to Kevin Carr, director of production for the last 15 years. Thank you for teaching us so much about the town of Amherst, Guy Marlette. Have a great week. Uh
0: you've been listening to the rusk report a program that takes an inside look at the western new york community with news features and special guests if you have any comments or suggestions please write to brian rusk 500 corporate parkway suite 200 amherst new york 14226 t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network